Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Blue Jays fans. Happy Tuesday. You're probably listening to this on Wednesday, hump day. We hope to bring you some more good Blue Jays coverage. As always, it's Brendan Hanekar hosting this week and joined by my esteemed co-host, Craig Borden. How are you, buddy? Doing good, my friend. It is good to see them home finally after a really, really arduously long (laughs) road trip. (laughs) Yes, and it wasn't overly good either. We'll get into that in a bit. Craig, one thing I wanted to say before we get into the Toronto Blue Jays, isn't it so great that we can record this just two days after the first NFL Sunday, knowing that both of our teams have started 1-0? <laughs> yeah, and if you want to get picky, my my Buffalo Bills have actually won five in a row, so just to throw that out there. <laughs> there you go. Josh Allen looked pretty impressive on that flat in the fourth quarter, especially to give you guys the comeback. Eh? Yeah, it was nice to see him... Uh, after what wasn't completely his fault on those four interceptions, turn a frown upside down and make it, you know, just completely run right over the Jets in the last part of the game. And the fact that the Jets were just held in complete check by the Bills defense, very exciting. But your Niners, good stuff. Yeah, I know. Garoppolo wasn't overly good, my friend, but uh, two pick sixes of Jameis Winston really sealed the deal for them and a lot of pressure on the defense, so... All good stuff around, my friend, and uh, obviously we're not a football podcast. We are a baseball podcast, but we'll cut the football talk there. Segway. Enjoy <laughs> the fact that we are 1-0, but there hasn't been too much to enjoy over the last few weeks. Some of your Toronto Blue Jays are currently on a seven-game losing streak going back to the last home game the day before Labor Day against the Houston and Astros when they were no-hit by Justin Verlander. Craig, over the last two weeks, the offense hasn't hit much. They showed a graphic on Sportsnet that they're hitting 151, I believe, as a team. What have you seen over the last week? Is it just the Blue Jays running into some pitching? The the young guys just going through another one of those down cycles? What, What do you think is attributed to this downswing for the Toronto Blue Jays offense? I can put it into one name if you really want me to. <laughs> Justin Verlander just decimated this offense. And unfortunately, I think that put a sour note in the Blue Jays dugout. And since you've seen it, they haven't been able to be the same team on offense. And you would think with the injection of some of these younger guys possibly fighting for some extra playing time here down the stretch as the rosters have expanded, Brandon, it's just slightly ridiculous that they haven't been able to find something to ignite this offense in the last seven games. I really hope that them being home back at the Dome and the home whites does something to you know, spawn this up a little bit because they, they, they should have every reason to be able to finish on a high note for their 2019 campaign. I uh, completely agree. We were in uh, wholehearted agreement that this team was heading to a strong finish, which they could take to the 2020 season when they get back together for spring training. You go back and look as far back as the Braves series, which really wasn't that far ago, only a week ago, you lost 6-3, 7-2. They had the day off, went to Tampa, and then four straight losses at the House of Horrors, which is Tropicana Field. They lose 6-4, 5-0, and 8-3. Craig, when is this team going to finally break out of their slump in Tampa Bay at Tropicana Field? Because this is getting kind of ridiculous, eh? And after they had a pretty good showing there earlier this season, I don't remember what the exact record is, Brennan, but the fact that they just figured it looked like something that had changed. And I think it was the fact that there were so many young 
players on this team, they didn't have the bad taste of the Trump in their mouth yet, or the just whatever the frick hex is on the Toronto Blue Jays for going into Tropicana Field. Uh, maybe it is some extra fun that the uh, Rays just having to find out a way to win baseball games. We should have plenty of that magic in our dugout with all these tools that these guys have. So there shouldn't be these problems in going to one specific place and just being completely rocked and just looked, looked very tired at that point. Like they want the season to be over with going into the trap. Yeah, the Trop, the Tropicana Field has not been kind to the Blue Jays, even as far back as 2014, 2013, however long ago it has been since this House of Horrors thing really became a reality. It's unfortunate, man, because there was so much good vibes around this team, even after the Dodgers series where they were able to take a game in L.A. Vlad Jr., Craig, has not homered since that Dodgers series, but he continues to swing the bat well. What have you seen from Vlad Jr. that uh, has you encouraged? I would say, I'm I'm completely happy with if Vlad Jr. does nothing but just destroy baseballs and they hit the walls and go for double bases and all that kind of stuff. The fact that he hit a nice triple in the trap actually was pretty cool. But and it was a ball that honestly, unless Kevin Kiermaier completely lays out for it, I don't think he catches that baseball anyways. He did try to kind of come up short and scoop it, which is why it turned into a triple. But one way or the other, I think that was extra bases right there just because I didn't think Kiermaier was going to be able to get to that ball. And if anything, he was going to come up lucky with a scoop. So seeing him hit the ball hard anywhere, I don't care because I think the power is going to be there regardless of you know how it eventually shows up. But we've seen it in spurts already, and we saw it in the minor leagues. When he gets hot, there's nothing stopping Vladdy. So true. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been very impressive. Even though he hasn't homered since this year against the Dodgers, Buck Martinez and Dan Shulman were going over. He's been, just been very consistent up at the plate. And you can take that going into 2020. So I'm not complaining. I think the but fact that he's now, using the whole field is the big thing. There is no shifts happening to Vlad Jr. for the rest of this season and into the early parts of next season, or ever in my opinion. The fact that he hits the ball just as hard opposite field as he does pulling it. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck indeed. Let's hope Vlad Jr. can keep it going. The Boston Red Sox are in town for the next three days, Tuesday, tonight. They're currently down one nothing in the bottom of the second against Nathan Navaldi, And then they go through until Thursday, at which point they welcome the New York Yankees for the weekend series. And, Craig, after that, there's only one more homestand, one more road swing. They go to the Baltimore Orioles at the New York Yankees, come back home against Baltimore, and come back home for the final home series of the year against the Tampa Bay Rays from the 27th to the 29th. Craig, give me a little bit of a prediction for this series against the Boston Red Sox. They're going to face some pretty tough pitchers. Ulysses Seen recently picked up by the Boston Red Sox going tomorrow night against Trent Thornton. What are you expecting to see from this Toronto Blue Jays team, this entire homestand against the Red Sox and the New York Yankees? I'm hoping that the kids figure out a way to get to Nathan Abaldi tonight while we're recording this episode. I think this is the best game that they have a chance of winning. Um, TJ Zoic did really good in his first start and he's looked pretty good through this one so far keeping the ball low and that was what he was doing well when he was doing everything as good as he has seen so far in the majors when he was in Buffalo so the fact that he has a chance to run away with a little bit here with a starting job possibly or an extended audition I think TJ Zoic goes out to the mound tonight being furious and the fact that he can do that in this offense hopefully will find some footing tonight regardless of the fact that Nathan Avaldi is a heck of an arm, but has not been the 2018 version of Nathan Avaldi. So I'm hoping that they can steal a win tonight, and then it's going to be kind of rough, I think, the next couple of days, Brennan. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they fare in this homestand. It'd be nice to see them get some wind under their sails, string together a few wins, and then go back out for the final road swing of the year at Baltimore and at the New York Yankees. But Craig, the team they are playing tonight, the Boston Red Sox, have made headways in the baseball world. They have fired president and general manager Dave Dombrowski from the front office. And this could have some ties to the Toronto Blue Jays. And the reason I bring that up, because Dave Dombrowski's contract was set to expire at the end of 2020, as does Mark Shapiro. There's some rumors that Mark Shapiro could be a target for the Boston Red Sox. I want to open this up to you and kind of shape the conversation in this way. There's yeah. rumblings that the Red Sox didn't want to take or keep Dave Dombrowski for a rebuild. 
because there's a whole bunch of contracts coming off the books. There's a, a very depleted farm system, so they may want to put themselves in a position where they have an executive a little bit more suited for a rebuild, which is Mark Shapiro's calling card. Craig, do you think there's any sort of correlation between this, Dave Dombrowski's firing, and the fact that Mark Shapiro does not have a contract beyond this year? I think it's a lot of smoke and no actual fire, Brennan. <laughs> That's my uh, alliteration for it. We went on. We've heard it multiple times that Shapiro likes it in Toronto, and he's been. I know he hasn't officially officially said he's staying or anything like that, or he wants to stay. He's been super radio silence on the whole thing. I think this is purely quiz, uh, coincidental. The fact that I just can't believe that Shapiro would want to jump ship right when his team is about to bear insanely good fruit. It's like kind of like, you know, oh, I raised this nice tree over here and it's just about to start having, you know, apples, oranges, whatever the heck it is, and I chop it down before I'm done with it. <laughs> so Yeah, I, uh, I would have a tough time believing that he would leave this Toronto Blue Jays organization, considering the fact that a lot of the work he's been doing the last few years while he's really given the reins to, to Ross Atkins in terms of building this roster has been a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff in terms of making renovations to the Rogers Center, exactly what he did at Progressive Field with the Cleveland Indians. Ultimately, do you think he ends up staying, or do you think if the Boston Red Sox had an enticing enough offer and they were targeting Shapiro that he would jump ship and go to the Boston Red Sox to help rebuild that team? Yeah, I wonder how much of this is career timing for him, though, because I think it's different different Mark Shapiro than he was when he left Cleveland. It seems like he's you know family-invested in Toronto, not just... You know, oh, this is my career at this point. So that's why I'm wondering if he just stays because he's comfy in Toronto and he has enjoyed the city of Toronto. And the fact that Blue Jays fans should be praising this guy eventually in the next couple of years, I would just sit and wait for that. You know, come on. <laughs> Him and Atkins, if this team pans out the way it's projected to be, are going to be just as happy as we were with Alex Anthopoulos in 2015. So give him keys to the city or something in five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after they've won a World Series, right? Exactly. Uh, him and Ross Atkins, I believe, both have full-time homes. Their families are now located in Toronto. They live here year-round. There was the article earlier this offseason about Ross Atkins and the fact that he had a hockey rink built in his backyard and is really taking up Canadian culture. So I agree with you. I would be very surprised if Mark Shapiro would leave ship. I would not be surprised, though, if these rumors do pick up because it does. it is quite a coincidence, and I think people might be kind of loosely tying those two timelines together and the fact the Red Sox may need to go through a rebuild. Craig, the final thing I want to discuss on this is that Mookie Betts does not have a contract after next season, and the Red Sox have a ton of money invested in their current core. What do you think the Red Sox end up doing with Mookie Betts? Because if they can't get a contract done, you have to think there could be some rumors this offseason that he could be traded. Could you imagine if the Toronto Blue Jays dipped their toes into the waters of making a crazy trade loaded with prospects to bring Mookie Betts to Toronto and extend him the contract? Yeah, and I wouldn't be thinking about that trade unless I have an opportunity to give him an extension. And if that extension opportunity falls through before the trade, sorry, nuke the trade. I'm not dealing with it. Mookie Betts is one of the best young talents in baseball, period, right now. And the fact that you could have an outfield with him anchoring it and then have Bo, Flatty, Biggio, and company in that lineup. Oh, that's fearsome stuff, man. That's Whamco-like level of, <laughs> you know, epically awesome offense. And surprisingly good defense out of Moogie Betts, too. The fact that his arm has come a long way in the outfield has been very surprising in his MVP performance and everything last year. It'll be very interesting to see the direction the Boston Red Sox take this offseason for sure. But as you mentioned earlier, about Mark Shapiro, why would you leave this core that you have helped build? The Blue Jays are sending six names confirmed so far to the Arizona Fall League. You have three pitchers in Graham Spraker, Mike Ellenbest, and Maverick Boffo, and three position players in shortstop Kevin Smith, third baseman Colin Large, and shortstop slash second baseman Logan Warmuth, all confirmed by Shai Davidi. As you brought up before we started recording, there is rumblings from Scott Mitchell that there could be another arm added to the Arizona Fall League roster. Craig, from those confirmed names that I just listed off, those six guys, give me one position player and one pitcher you think people should be paying attention to heading into the Arizona Fall League. 
I think the big names are there in that list. Uh, we're going to expect to hopefully continue to see Kevin Smith evolve into the kind of guy that Mark Shapiro, Mark Shapiro and Atkins have been tooting as far as uh, the horn to. You know, he's been the, he was he was epic with Lansing and the Dean Blue Jays. Definitely hit a roadblock this year. Tale of two seasons, I think, for him as far as he definitely had a better second half. You wouldn't see that in the blatant, normal, everyday numbers. But the fact that the power and everything did emerge in the second half of the season, I think, is very exciting for where he'll probably start again in New Hampshire, to unless he has some kind of ridiculous outing in the Arizona Fall League. Logan Warmoth, very exciting player, just like Kevin Smith, probably at the same ballpark level at this point after Kevin Smith's slight re- re- regression, but... I think people need to start maybe paying attention to Cullen Large because this year in Dunedin, he was living large, man. <laughs> That's about the best way of saying it. I loved watching this kid. He's got a nice, easy swing and very sneakily had a very, very solid season for the Dunedin Blue Jays. Bet just under 270 at 269, had 40 RBIs and a plethora of du- uh, extra base hits, 23 doubles to be exact. Not a ton of crazy power. But this is a guy that could play really well in American League East ballparks, man. And just the way he drives to the gaps and everything. The one roadblock is he's a third baseman. So how many other third basemans and shortstops do we have? I'm looking to see Cullen Large take that next step in the Arizona Fall League, Brendan. And then my pitcher, I'm very excited to see what Maverick Buffo can do with a that next challenge and him being very good for the Didian Blue Jays this season. I think he has a chance to see some plus players in the uh, Arizona Fall League and get get some extra under him. He had a rough season to the point, and he can make that next curve in that and actually show that he's ready to go on to the next level. There are a lot of names on that list. I would say five of six names that people probably know. Kevin Smith, Logan Warmus have been talked about for years. Graham Spraker and Maverick Fossil have probably been on fans' radars over the last few years. Colin Large, maybe not so much. Did a very good job, my friend, in terms of going in-depth on Colin Large. But why don't you give us a little bit of background on Mike Ellenbest? Because I'll be completely honest with you, I had fucking idea who that was. <laughs> I saw that name, and I'm like, who is who? this? Craig, give us, some, give us some background on this pitcher, because I didn't know who he was, and I don't think too many fans that are hardcore prospect gurus like yourself or Ryan DeFrancesco or Joshua Housem on Twitter would know. Give us some detail on who Mike Ellenbest is and why you should be paying attention to him. I'm not sure what he figured out in the last year, but this is a guy that I wasn't terribly excited, and I figured he was minor league filler for a while. And that was mostly just because twenty through 2016, 2017, he amassed about 150 innings and gave up a lot of runs. So those two seasons, he was well over 4.4 in his ERA, and after 120 innings in Lansing in 2017, 6.53 ERA with a 1.7 whip. Both those seasons had an opposing batting average of uh, 320. That's nothing to get excited about, right, Brendan? Not really. So... After all that fun on the mound as a starter, this year they threw him in the bullpen, and he actually did really, really well for the Dedean Blue Jays. Through 48 innings, 2.42 ERA, and that batting average dropped like a stone of the sky to the mid-200s. you know, 200s. And the fact that he was able to drop down his whip, too, helped him out. Does he need to take that next step to be something really special? Yes. But he did figure something out immensely in the Dunedin Blue Jays bullpen and actually did earn a cup of coffee with the New Hampshire uh, Fisher Cats in double-A at the end of the season. There's a lot of pitchers who have taken steps forward this year as that position player. But as we mentioned, Scott Mitchell is reporting that there may be a seventh guy added to this Arizona Fall League commitments by the Toronto Blue Jays, and that could be a pitcher. I want to give you one name that people probably haven't been paying much attention to since he got to this organization, and that's Thomas Hatch. He's with the Chicago Cubs to the Toronto Blue Jays got for David Phelps. And Ben Nicholson-Smith rightly pointed out he could be a name worth keeping an eye on. I'm thinking there might be a reason why he brought that up and now coincided with Scott Mitchell's report that another pitcher could be added because in double-A, he was up to 97 miles per hour, a 280 ERA, 
in six starts down the stretch. He had 34 strikeouts and only two walks. Is it Thomas Hatch, or is it somebody else who you think could be added or that you want to see added to the Arizona Fall League? I would lean toward that Nickel Smith has probably the best idea of <laughs> Because it makes plenty of sense, and it's almost like he's kind of giving you a wink, wink. Hey, look over here, <laughs> right before that news would ever slip out, right? So the fact that Thomas Hatch is a new acquire, get him in front of the Blue Jays coaches in the Arizona Fall League, see what you got, see if he is that guy that is taking the next step. With that, those eye-popping miles per hour numbers in Double A, with a 2.80 RA, pretty impressive in, in the East Eastern League, who is notoriously good on offense. I am going to throw one other name out there, and I think it's uh, one that most Blue Jays fans probably already have a pretty damn good idea of, and that's Eric Pardino. And the fact that he got off to a slow start to his 2019 campaign and was finally starting to settle in as the season winded down, right? Does he get a chance to build on his 33 innings in Lansing with something like the Arizona Fall League, where he was already clearly outblasting guys in the uh, West, uh, sorry, the Midwest League with the Lansing Lugnuts? Does he get a chance to really go out and air it out against some really, really good competition in the Arizona Fall League and take a giant step to where maybe the Blue Jays thought he might have been to end the season, Brendan? Definitely possible, especially because he didn't get too many innings under his belt this year. Probably one of those two guys are leading candidates to go to the Arizona Fall League and be that fourth pitcher that is rumored to be added to the list of commitments that the Toronto Blue Jays are sending to the Scottsdale team. Craig, let's shift our attention back to the big league team. There's a few call-ups names that Blue Jays fans will be familiar with in Anthony Offord and in Jonathan Davis, both outfielders in this extremely crowded outfield picture. Anthony Offord, since he's been here, he's barely played. And Jonathan Davis is getting a ton of run over the last few weeks with the Blue Jays since he's been called back up. Craig, what do you think is going on with Anthony Offord? Is there an injury still? Is there something lingering? What is going on? Because Davis has gotten a lot of run, and I think Blue Jays fans really want to see what Anthony Offord can do down the stretch. I actually wonder how much of this is they don't know what they really have with Jonathan Davis. I think this is actually a pre-spring spring training for Jonathan Davis right now. And the fact that he is getting this extra look right now is the fact that he might be one of those guys that's on the cusp for a possible non-tender or the fact that they're just going to run out of options, I think, on him. So do you dance on the line with him after this season? Or do you just give the keys to him and let him run out into the, uh, the 2020 season as the fourth outfielder. I think they know with Anthony Alford they're going to get something solid, and I think that's why they're not terribly worried about it in an injury-plagued season for him right now, Brennan. So I think that's, honestly, I think they're really trying to test to see if Jonathan Davis is all defense or if he can find something to possibly contribute with his team on the offensive side of the ball as well. I'm wondering if it's a possibility that they're trying to showcase Jonathan Davis to other big league clubs that they're going to be playing down the stretch and to put his name on the map come the offseason when they're really going to have to start making calls on some of these guys in terms of who will be here next year in 2021 and 2022. They have so many outfielders. We'll get into that a little bit later thanks to a voice message submission, which is actually quite nice to see. Um, is it possible that the reason Jonathan Davis has been is getting so much run over the last few weeks because they could potentially showcase him in a trade? Or do you think they truly believe in him as the fourth outfielder for 2020? How can you be frowning on the fact that he could be your fourth outfielder? Though? A guy that can go out there and catch pretty much any damn ball that's in the vicinity <laughs> of him. That's a guy that I want off my bench, especially with somebody like his speed. This is the difference between having somebody like Dalton Pompey on our bench in the 2015 playoffs or not. And Jonathan Davis has got that tool. He might not be able to steal first base, but, <laughs> but late in the game, if I got a pinch run for somebody, you know Jonathan Davis is a heck of a guy to put in there. So along with A-plus defense, if you get some offense out of him, all bonuses. But how much of this is them not wanting to have the Dwight Smith Jr. taste in their mouth that they had to begin this season? That's what I'm thinking, too. That is definitely a possibility that I didn't even truly think about, actually. So Very similar players. Want, yeah, they absolutely are. Both could play defense. Jonathan, da or sorry, Dwight Smith Jr. could chip in with the bat a little bit. I definitely think that Jonathan Davis could project to be a Dwight Smith Jr. Now, Blue Jays fans should be happy to know that Dwight Smith Jr. fell off a cliff 
after it <laughs> completely. Oh, but I still think there's plenty in the tank for Dwight Smith Jr. And I think that's exactly the same mold that Jonathan Davis follows. They're very similar players, and the fact that Dwight Smith Jr. was always kind of a year ahead of him. Dwight Smith Jr. could earn a job with the Baltimore Orioles for, again, next season, just based on what he did this year. And that could be something the Blue Jays are still wondering, oh, wow, we only gave a little bit of money, got a little money out of that deal, and they are quote-unquote getting a major league player in Baltimore out of this. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat here. Is Anthony Alford going to be with this team on the big league roster to open 2020, yes or no? Uh, I'm leaning 75 percent. Yes. Uh, other than the fact is, I just don't see them spending money in this outfield unless they are getting somebody like Mookie Betts, which I would be amazingly shocked if they all of a sudden had somebody like that to put in their outfield of math. It'd be very interesting to see what happens with that. They offered. It sucks because this guy's career has been so, so maligned with injuries. The talent is there. He has all the tools to succeed at the major league level. And it's going to be very interesting to see the direction that the Blue Jays decide to take with Anthony Alford moving forward, especially with this incredible collection of outfielders that they seem to have on their roster. It's going to be a tough, tough call to make. I hope Anthony Alford gets them run down the stretch. Maybe there is an injury that he's dealing with. Who knows? But we shall see. Now, Craig, newsflash, we have a surprise guest ready for our listeners to call in in the second segment of our episode we'll tee that guest up very shortly we'll take a very quick break and we will be back with you on jaybird watching blue jays fans we are back we teed you up at the end of our first segment with myself and mr craig morton that we would have a special guest who has graciously given us his time that school starting back up keeping very busy now that school is back, it is Hayden Godfrey. Hayden, how are you, buddy? I'm great, Brendan. I think it's a little bit too much pressure to call me a special guest. I'll do my best to live up to it, but it's great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. No, it's always good to have you on, buddy. At least on our very level, much special, my friend. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's uh, always a good time having you back on. And we want to kick things off as uh, we ended the first segment talking about two guys in the Toronto Blue Jays outfield, Anthony Alford and Jonathan Davis. Craig, we got a voice message. Why don't you give us the voice message question, and then we can go in and get Hayden's thoughts on that question. Yeah, so on our uh, wonderful feed on Anchor.fm, we got a voice message from Janil Escobar. Um, Unfortunately, the voice message was slightly echoed, so I can't use it during the show because it's going to sound really rough for our listeners. But uh, Mr. Escobar goes into wonderful detail as far as asking what the Blue Jays' four main outfielders are for the next foreseeable future. And, gentlemen, this is a heck of a loaded question right now. A very, very loaded question. Guys, let's just go over who is on this roster right now. Uh, on the Blue Jays' death chart, you have Derek Fisher as the primary guy in left field, while Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is still injured. Teoscar Hernandez in center field and Randall Gritchick in right. Billy McKinney, Teosca, or sorry, Jonathan Davis, Anthony Alford round out that list, and you have to throw in Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who is currently injured. So, Hayden, let's kick, kick things off with you, my friend and our special guest. Who, to answer Mr. Escobar's question, do you think will be the four guys that are currently on this team that would be here for the next two to three years? That's a really tough question, and I, I think with questions like this, especially when it comes to predicting rosters, I always like to sort of separate it into two categories, what I think the front office is going to do and what I think that they should do. And sometimes those are the same thing, but oftentimes they're very different things. Uh, we know Randall Gritchick is going to be here. He's, you know, The extension is not amazing given his performance this season, but it is a tradable contract. So I'd put him down as a lock, whether he's in center or in right. He's going to be getting at-bats on this team. Uh, you know, Contrary to what I and a lot of other people think, I, I really do think the front office is committed to Derek Fisher long-term. Uh, I think he's going to be here for the next year or two. Again, whether that's in center or right, we don't know. Uh, I, I think Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has to fit in somewhere. I mean, his, his bat's electric, and once he gets healthy, he was really impressive in left field. Uh, his, you know, he's a cannon for an arm. He showed really, really good instincts. And as far as the fourth guy, I mean, I, I can't foresee Anthony Alford 
taking that spot. It seems, unfortunately, like they're going down sort of a Dalton Pompey-esque path with him. Uh, Jonathan Davis, again, profiles as a quad-A player, which is unfortunate because I really, really like his Gerard Dyson style of play. Uh, you know, Teoscar Hernandez has just been abysmal the second half of the season. He's really, really struggled. At times, he showed brilliance in terms of power, but overall, he just can't put the ball in play enough. Billy McKinney, you could take. It's very difficult with that fourth spot. If I had to be you know, honest with what I think the front office is going to do, I still think Teoscar Hernandez fits in there, despite what we've seen. Uh, but I think those would be my four guys, probably Grichuk, Guriel, uh, Fisher and Hernandez. Craig, how about you? I agree with the Randall Grichuk thing 100%. Because worst case scenario, he is a center fielder that is really good and right. He's got a cannon for a guy that should be probably playing center field on most teams. And when we are able to shift him into right field, he becomes a very good re- defensive right fielder. So the catch is, who do you put in center at that point? I think Derek Fisher, in much agreeance to Hayden's uh, idea here, I think he has to get a full legitimate shot to take that st- spot. And I don't see how in the hell you put anybody but Loris Gurriel Jr. when he's healthy out in left field. His pure athleticism has made it uh, that his spot to me. The fact that he has been able to gun people out. Guys, he was in the majors for not even half the season. He's still in the league leaders for the outfield assist category. That's insane. And then the fourth guy, I'm actually kind of thinking that it's probably Teoscar Hernandez, but if this team doesn't change something on offense over the next season, he's my designated hitter going to next year. So I have room all of a sudden for Anthony Alford mix, Jonathan Davis, but I really think that those four players are the main core in this, the Teoscar Hernandez, Randall Gritchick, Derek Fisher, and Loris Gurriel Jr. I think we're in all complete agreement with two names on that list. Randall Gritchick is under contract for the next five years at $55 million. Hayden, as you mentioned, it is a tradable contract, so you never know what offers could come in the offseason or maybe next year's trade deadline if they really need to open up the spot. Some team could get intrigued by that level of control. There's that buzzword control again. <laughs> and they did give up. I mean, you can debate if they gave up truly a lot for Derek Fisher. It's unfortunate that Aaron Sanchez is now injured. You can find Joe Biagini all the time, and then who knows what Cal Stevenson will play out to be. But I do agree they gave up quantity for Derek Fisher. So my guess is he will be in left or center next year. And yeah, Loris Gurriel has definitely earned it for 2020. But beyond that, guys, I think the similar theme that we're all kind of talking about here, I don't know who the fourth outfielder will be, honestly. I think for the most part, you might be able to rule out Billy McKinney. I just don't think he's shown enough over the last few years. Teoscar, very, very hot and cold. They obviously got him in the Liriano deal. be interesting. I do like Jonathan Davis. I do think he is a quad, outf- a, a, quad a player, as you put it, Hayden. But that speed could really come in handy down the stretch if this team is going to be good next season. Guys, I'm going to shift this question a little bit. Is there a guy on free agency? Is there a guy via trade? Or is there perhaps somebody that's currently on this roster that you could see traded this offseason? Hayden, I'll kick things off with you on that one. This is a little bit tough, Brendan. It, it's it's difficult because the team really doesn't have a lot of re- retained long-term salary, right? Aside from all the guys who are in arbitration or some of them in pre-arb, they really don't have a lot that they could deal. You know, with that said, um, I could see them making minor trades here and there, mostly just to get rid of some of the guys that they have. I've been quite vocal about this in a few of my columns, but I've really, really been disappointed with Brandon Drury. I mean, he's just been very, very underwhelming. He's gotten way more at-bats than he deserved to to be getting, despite his solid defense. Um, you know, it's difficult to, to foresee them trading any of these guys in the near future. On the pitching side of things, I think if you're a rebuilding team, there are a lot of list of things that you don't need. And I think the top of the list of things a rebuilding team does not need is a closer. Uh, and Ken Giles is fantastic. I think he's an electric competitor. He's great. He was, you know, unstoppable the first half of the season. Unfortunately, the injury bug bit him just a bit. But I think this offseason he goes. And again, it's one of those cases where, you know, we we as, 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 as supporters, as enthusiasts of the team, would like him to stay because he's a tremendous pitcher. And he, he locks down the ninth inning almost like nobody else in the American League has. But logistically and with timing, uh, the value that they could extract from him 
probably would be best used in this offseason, if not at the beginning of next season. So on the position player side, I can't really foresee a lot happening. Again, maybe they trade McKinney for a prospect, or maybe they go ahead and, and do trade Drury in terms of salary dumps or something of that, you know, to that effect. On the pitching side, I, I think Ken Giles' rumors will be flying left and right this offseason. Craig, how about you? Can I air a question to the collective here? I got yeah. a question <laughs> as far as we've been all high or than all hell on Loris Gurriel Jr. This is a front office that had nothing but where do we put him? Do you think they take and sell high on him after having an offensive breakout? Ooh, that's tough. That's very tough. I don't think so. I think just because his season was ended early. I mean, he, he might be back before the season's up, but just because it was cut a little short, you got to put him out there in left field. But you never know, as Hayden did mention, very correctly, Lourdes Guerrero Jr. is one of those few guys who's actually under contract for the next few years, so that could be enticing for a team. I don't know. I think it depends on if the front office views that Lourdes Guerrero Jr. could be a super utility guy, because I think in a pinch, you could still play him at second base or at shortstop or at first base, because there could be a hole at first base after this offseason with Justin Smoke off the books, and I think the book is still out on Rowdy Tellez, even though I really like Rowdy Tellez, so... I'm going to say no. He's going to be here in 2020. I, I kind of agree with that, you know, Brendan and Craig. It's difficult for me to foresee. Like, I think trading Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is a really, really tough sell to the fan base, right? In this age, and especially this offseason, the beginning of next season, buy-in from the fan base is going to be absolutely crucial. Like, it really is. And the whole thing about letting the kids play and having people come out to see Vlad and Bo and Kevin and Danny Jansen and Kay and Zoic and all these guys that we're going to talk about, trading away Lourdes Goriel Jr., it does make sense logically, dealing from one of your strengths, being outfielders and infielders, to strengthen your pitching core, which is far and away the biggest weakness. It seems a little bit counterintuitive just in terms of what they're trying to build. And I think Lourdes Goriel Jr. isn't the problem. Craig, not that you were saying he was, but oh. I think he's the solution. So I think he's someone that... that again, will be that super utility guy, right? I, I think a realistic thing for the Blue Jays to hope for is a Marwin Gonzalez-type player. And if they can get more than that, that's fantastic, just in terms of, of defensive and offensive prowess. I'm with Brendan on this one. I think he stays, but it's definitely something for them to ponder. It's one of those things that piqued my curiosity. <laughs> and that's why I figure it's worth yeah. throwing the fire, especially, you know, Hayden just joining us. I couldn't let him get off easy. <laughs> <laughs> Had to throw a tough one your way, buddy. But, yeah, you brought up Hayden, uh, TJ Zoic, and Anthony K there on the pitching side of things, and that's kind of where I want to shift the focus of this discussion and this topic. It hasn't been very pretty on the offensive side of things the last week. They're on a seven-game losing streak. They did just take the lead on a Reese McGuire home run off Nathan Avaldi to right field over the bullpen. But yeah, TJ Zoic and Anthony Kay have both made their major league debuts and both have actually performed pretty well. I'll start with TJ Zoic and I will open this up to Craig and then I will go to you, Hayden. Is this what we can expect from TJ Zoic for the rest of the year? And if he finishes strong, is he a lock for the 2020 rotation? I don't think anything's a lock at this point for this 2020 rotation. I just think they're so looking forward to possibly seeing what chips they have on the table that they're going to just see what they can push all in for the rotation and see where it goes. There's enough free agent arms that are intriguing enough. Um, I actually just talked with Zach or about Zach Wheeler on South of Six with Adam Corsair last night, and the fact that he might hit free agency, that's a guy that the Blue Jays might be rather interested in. Very talented, doesn't shouldn't command a huge salary because he hasn't shown that he can keep it consistent, but that's a heck of a major league arm in Zach Wheeler. TJ Zoik and Anthony Kay are definitely going to be part of the conversation, but I don't think they've run away with the idea in a short debut in you know the majors just after a few innings. I think that they will probably be looked at heavily in spring training, and maybe one or t one of them might get the job out of spring, but I doubt both of them will. It's very interesting with TJ Zoic, Craig, and I really like what you said that no one's a lock for the 2020 rotation. I actually have a little amendment to that. I think there's one lock in the beginning of 2020. I think Trent Thornton gets a bunch of starts because he's reliably shown that he can show up every day, and even if it's not the best, he will throw five to six innings. But I agree on Zoic. I think 
he's an enigma in a lot of ways. I actually got the chance to speak to him a few years ago, I believe when he was still with New Hampshire. Um, and he made it clear to me and, and has made it clear in his performance that his height is a huge part of his game. Creating a downward plane, being an intimidating presence on the mound is very, very important to his game. With that said, he doesn't throw particularly hard. He relies on his defense a lot. Uh, there's a lot of questions about the Blue Jays' defense. I know we're not going to get into the whole Guerrero Jr. debate, nor are we going to talk about Bichette's defense, because both those things appear secondary. There's a lot of kinks to be worked out with him. But there's a reason why he was Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins' first first-round pick when they gained control of this organization. He has a very, very steady arm. Aside from the last strain that he sustained earlier this year, he's shown that he could stay on the mound. Whether or not he equates to a fourth or fifth starter innings eater or whether he shows that he can really be a top finesse pitcher remains to be seen. But I think next year, if you stick him in the fifth spot and give him the 50 innings to start the season, I think that's probably a safe bet. He's definitely been interesting to watch, but there's still a lot of development that has to be done. Yeah, I'm wondering if he starts his season in Buffalo next year just because, I mean, I don't know. There's, he does rely on his defense quite a bit. Some of the contact that he does give up can be hard. Gentlemen, before we wrap things up on TJ, so like one final kind of quick hits question. What is his ceiling in a rotation? Is he a, a three? Can he get to a two? I doubt it. Uh, what's his floor? Is he a quadruple A starting pitcher, or can he be a solid four or five? Aiden, what do you think? It, yeah, it's an interesting question. I think in terms of his ceiling, I, I'm trying to think of comparables to him. Um, it's very difficult because he, he changes speed decently. I mean, his, his change-up is still in the works. Um, I, I, for some reason, Marco Estrada comes to mind, although they're very different in terms of their pitching styles. But someone who's just able to... I, I don't know if you guys sort of felt this intangible thing where when Marco would pitch... He would just sort of be a magician, sort of just fooling hitters. He wouldn't really blow it past them or, or just kill them with movement. He would do something kind of just a little magic, making them look foolish. I feel like Zoic can get to that type of movement. Uh, he's been able to throw innings, so I think he can reliably throw innings if he's able to stay healthy. So in that respect, I think a three is probably his ceiling. But again, all this stuff is fluid. In terms of his floor, I mean, we, when we talk about starting pitchers and their floors, we often say, oh, we'll just send them to the bullpen and then they'll pitch an inning and throw the kitchen sink at hitters and, and just reach back for something extra on every single pitch. That's weird to imagine a guy like TJ Zoic transitioning to the bullpen. So I think his ceiling is sort of the sixth or seventh organizational starter. Maybe he could be a swingman if things are going really bad, although I don't think that's the type of role they want to give one of their former first-round picks. Uh, but he could definitely be that. It's difficult to imagine his floor, but again, you know, it, it's not the conversation the organization wants to be having at this point. Yeah, I, I I find it hard to believe that he's anything but at least a fifth starter. The plane that he throws from being that tall and living at the bottom of the strike zone, guys, that's like throwing a baseball off a damn cliff and watching major <laughs> leaders try to hit the ball. I just I watched it in the minor leagues. Yeah, they do square it up and everything, but usually when they really square him up, it's still a hard line drive to the outfield player level you know he rarely is there anything that's really bouncing off the wall through his minor league starts things like that so i i honestly don't see him anything but me and a three a solid three or four guy at this point i haven't seen anything as a red flag and honestly i know hayden you were looking for that player comparable and this is probably his ceiling comparable somebody like pat hankin that was a little on the tall side doesn't throw too hard but just lived at the bottom of the strike zone for years for the toronto blue jays and put a hell of a career together in a blue jay uniform guys anthony k has made his major league debut and this was one that i think a lot of people were anticipating because he was one of the returns for marcus stroman in that deal with the mets i don't know if you guys have seen this but as marcus stroman continues to be actually pretty bad as a New York Mets, Mets fans are going frustrated, especially after seeing Anthony Kay's debut, where he threw five and two-thirds against the Tampa Bay Rays and struck out eight batters. Uh, what do you guys think the Blue Jays' fan base's opinion is now on this trade, especially now that we've seen Anthony Kay make at least one start in the big leagues? Hayden, are people feeling a little bit better about this trade now that they've seen Kay throw for the big league club and know what Simeon Woods Richardson did down in the minor leagues in Dunedin. Are people starting to look at this trade a little bit more favorably? I, I think they absolutely are, Brendan. There's, there's a few elements that go into that. There were some reports 
and op-ed pieces coming out of New York that were questioning uh, Brody Van Wagenen's deal on this side and was saying, well, the Blue Jays have six more years of K and Simeon Woods Richardson, and all the Mets got was a year and a half of Marcus Stroman. If I'm a Blue Jays fan right now, I'm feeling really good. Not just because Anthony Kay is a likable guy, and he's a very, very funny presence and a nice kid overall, but his start against the Rays was really quite something. And we all know the Rays are a pesky offense. I mean, they don't really have any knockout bats in their lineup, but they will, they will single, double, and sacrifice bunt you to death. And they score a surprising amount of runs. He was under control. He was pitching in a building that his team normally doesn't play that well in. He was efficient. He has a fantastic relationship with Charlie Montoyo. That was Charlie's longest hook that I've ever seen, and it was the most pleasant. So you have to feel really, really enthusiastic, really, really hopeful for Anthony Kay. Again, he's a little bit older, right? He's 24, and people do get a little bit concerned with that. But again, this is about trying out their assets. He comes to the big leagues, plays a pretty big game, and performs. Is it consistent? Will he still do it? Again, those are questions that are just going to be answered by throwing him out there and giving him 100 pitches every single night. But if you're the Blue Jays, and if you're Blue Jays fans, seeing one of the returns of Strowman come to the big leagues and come to fruition, even if it's a very small sample size, that's got to feel good. So I'm ready to spike the football, Hayden. (laughs) 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 I I thought this was honestly a solid trade originally for both organizations. I didn't know a ton about Anthony Kay, but I knew about Woods Richardson. Everything I have found out about Anthony Kay on the mound is uh, amazing, and he has really turned it up a notch since coming to the Toronto Blue Jays organization. You can get that feeling that he really, really wants to go out and impress, but he's not pushing hard to do that. This is just his natural ability, and the fact that he is a lovable character at the same time. I made the joke on the South of the Six yesterday. This happened, This could be the Blue Jays' next cult hero that is actually good. <laughs> So it's very fun to see Anthony K. you know, have a great debut, and I hope he's celebrated with some ketchup chips. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he will get his next start, gentlemen, on Friday against the New York Yankees, where his brother on Twitter, Bobby K., rightly pointed out that this will be the first time in his life that he will not be cheering for the New York Yankees, and deservedly so. Anthony K. <laughs> had himself a very nice big league debut, and I'm feeling much better about the trade. I was not upset about it at all. I think they did quite well in the return for Marcus Stroman. So it's nice to see one of those guys get to the big league level this quickly. My guess, boys, is that he starts in AAA with the Bisons next season unless he blows the doors off at spring training. Do you guys see him starting in Buffalo next year? It's difficult to predict that, but I, I could definitely see him getting some major league looks. Um, I, I think he's he's getting he's getting. I mean, we're all getting older, but Anthony Kay specifically <laughs> will be entering his age twenty five season next year, right? So, although the control is there and his development is probably as polished as it's going to get, yeah, he might start down in Buffalo. But I think if you're handing the keys over to guys like Thornton, if Panone's going to get a lot of innings, I think Kay should be there. But it's sort of a toss up. You know, we'll have to see what he does in spring training. And although spring training doesn't really give you a full picture, in this case, it could mean a lot. It's going to be the Thunderdome, fellas. They're all going to beat each other up for those five spots in that rotation. And don't forget, we still have Mark Matt Shoemaker coming back. You know, we're going to hopefully get a full season out of Ryan Barucki. These There's a lot of names that are possible in this rotation. And the fact that they go out and actually finally get somebody that can anchor this young rotation, that's only going to make it that much more interesting. I am wondering how much, because of those possible moves, that these guys are become peripherals at that point, and you hope that they just turn it on and take that next step and win a spot to be in this rotation. But I think they're going to have to fight for it, guys, because there's just a lot of talent coming up through this system, and it's kind of going to start hitting all at once. And that's the reason we kind of keep our optimistics about 2020. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. There are going to be a lot of names vying for spots in the 2020 rotation when we get to spring training next year. But you both teed this segue up fantastically, so I thank you both. Speaking of all the talent in the minor leagues, Hayden, you this year were working very closely with the Lansing Lugnuts and Jesse Goldberg-Strossler. So I have a little bit of a two-part question with you to start wrapping up our segment with you tonight to respect your time. Give us a little bit of a sense exactly. Remind us exactly what you were doing with Jesse, because the last time we had you on, you were writing some content for the website. 
making people known uh, about some of these prospects that are down in Lansing. So just give us basically your overall impression of the Lansing Lugnuts, how your season went working with Jesse Goldberg-Strassler, and then give us maybe a prospect or two, maybe one on the position player side and one on the pitching side of things that really stood out to you over the course of the Lugnut season. Yeah, it was a fantastic season for me, guys. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, you both know Jesse's just an absolute super kind, super sweet, very, very knowledgeable guy. I mean, it was just fantastic working with him. He loves baseball and loves minor league baseball so much. He's a perfect example of why it's so much fun to follow minor league baseball. Um, you know, as far as my contributions went, uh, I wrote weekly Lansing Lugnuts spotlights uh, that I extracted from some of Jesse's content, really just giving these guys a personality. They have personality. That's the thing about minor league baseball, I think, that not a lot of people know. Every single player has a story. They have personality. They've had illustrious college and high school careers. It's just accessibility of that information. It's getting to that information. So what Jesse and I tried to do was make that more available. Um, I'm going to talk about him in a minute, but, but there's a prospect who actually was from Central America and spent some time in Canada. And that was something that nobody knew while he was tearing the cover off the ball this season. Um, I was also helping Jesse out uh, with Around the Nest, which is a fantastic podcast uh, featuring the voices of every single Blue Jays MILB affiliate. Uh, it really was a blast. I, I really you know, enjoyed working on the digital content team for the Lugs. They're a fantastic organization, great fun to watch. And they've got some great names, too, which I'll get to a couple here. Uh, the aforementioned Central American turned Canadian prospect that I'd like to highlight on the position player side is Otto Lopez. Um, so Otto Lopez, if, if, if you, know, you don't know, he grew up in uh, the Dominican Republic. Uh, at the age of, I believe, nine, he moved to Montreal and lived in Montreal for four years and then went back to the Dominican Republic uh, to, to, to attend a baseball academy where he would eventually be signed as an international free agent by the Blue Jays. But this guy is a tremendous hitter. And not a hitter in terms of power, not a hitter in terms of, of just stupid plate coverage, but in terms of putting the bat to the ball. I mean, a 324 average this year is nothing to scoff at. He was able to drive in runs. He's got a lot of speed. He plays very, very good defense. He's a very exciting player overall, and for some reason, not one that is talked about a lot. I'll also give some honorable mentions to Griffin Conine, uh, Hunter Steinman, Nick Podkull, and Jorman Rodriguez, who uh, actually came up a little bit late. On the pitching side of things, it's a little bit more difficult because, you know, I, I hate to say it, but the Lugs were pillaged a little bit in terms of their pitching. A lot of their best names were taken to Dunedin and New Hampshire and Buffalo, etc. And obviously that's the goal of minor league baseball and development. Um, aside from Eric Pardino, who had his season short, but really, really was great for the Lugs, I'd like to highlight Marcus Reyes on the pitching side. Uh, just, just a lot of talent there. Incredible strikeout numbers. He kept the walks down. Uh, you know, Will McCaffrey, Sean Rakowski, Joey Polito were also really impressive. Craig Fincroft, excuse me, was really impressive down the line in the closers role. A lot of these names that you wouldn't expect to hear because they were either low draft picks or low international signings. But the pitching side of things was really a piecemeal ordeal for the Lugs this year. Uh, Adam Jackson, who's Jesse's broadcast partner, and Jesse himself, have made note of this a lot, right? The offense was fantastic. The pitching couldn't put it together, but there were definitely a lot of names that really impressed. Craig, did yeah. you know that Otto Lopez spent time in Canada? I did not. <laughs> I have loved watching Otto Lopez on minor league baseball this year, though. Hayden, you hit a nail on the head with him, man. I don't know what he does to just get that bat eye coordination going, but, oh, my God, this guy must have not grown up hitting the freaking uh, practice golf balls, but freaking, like, marbles or something. I don't know how he bats so many balls, <laughs> and he's going to be a doubles guy. It's going to be very fun to watch him just take extra bases on hits and things like that with his legs and being able to barrel up the ball like that. It's the kind of player you don't see too often very much anymore. Well, that's the thing. Foul line to foul line, incredible speed, great athleticism. I know that's sort of a term that's thrown around a little bit, but this guy is an athlete and one of the kindest dudes around. I mean, really soft-spoken, really, really excited. It was funny when he was asked about coming to Lansing and how excited he was to be at the next level, he said, uh, it was really cold, and I wasn't ready for that. And I, I spent <laughs> so you know, a nice kid, a great, great baseball player. Uh, he's a middle infielder, but he's been known to move around a little bit. And Craig, as you mentioned, just fun to watch. 
he must have spent more of his summers in Montreal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, you'd think he'd get used to the cold in Lansing by being in Montreal for a few years. That's a great story, Hayden. We really appreciate you coming on with us tonight. But, Craig, you know what time it is, my friend. I am turning things over to you for your domain of the show, and that is Picks to Click. Why don't you review who you and I each picked last week, what our guest slot was, and then we'll open up to Hayden for his Pick to Click for the coming week. Yeah, I really am starting to think we need like a theme song or something, uh, you know, some sparkly lights, whatever the <laughs> heck's going on here for this whole thing. But as far as it goes, so right now we are all tied up at two from me to Brendan to our guest spot. And our guest spot is even including our wonderful Blue Jays fans that have been able to turn in wonderful, uh, you know, picks and whatnot, which we've been turning around and giving out as shout outs during the show. Last week we had a guest. Oh, no, we didn't. I never got one vote last week either. That was the more shocking thing. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently the Blue Jays fans must be down on the Twitter follow with a 7 or no one's 7 uh, week. But, Brendan, you and I both picked Anthony Kay and TJ Zoik. So... I think, <laughs> I, I, I think you can talk that up as a tie. <laughs> Yeah. Or we both give ourselves a tally. <laughs> I'm just going to give ourselves a tally. Screw it. <laughs> so, so three, 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 three two. two. I just want to make sure that we're make make sure we're keeping our guests in line a little bit here. Although Hayden has probably got a better shot than most because he somehow seems to figure these things out. Maybe it is the minor league eye or whatever it is. But um, whoever is going to perform this week uh, the best in Blue Jay land, Hayden, is how we do this. And if you get the pip. Uh, pick it properly we put down a point for the guest spot for everybody so is there anybody that you have your eye on for this week in blue jays baseball there is uh and i first of all i love this segment uh it's it's either gonna make a fool out of me or make me seem like i know what i'm talking about which is only true part <laughs> of the time but you should know the like format here enough we're already fool enough <laughs> 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 my uh, my pick to click this week, gentlemen, is a player that I that I spoke to earlier uh, in the winter at Blue Jays Winterfest. A player that I've been really high on for quite some time, mainly because of his defense. But he's getting some more playing time, and he's really putting things together at the plate. And that's Reese McGuire. Um, I, I know McGuire has really been touted as this sort of backup catcher, defense first, which he is. He's a fantastic. He's fantastic at calling games. Uh, he's got great range. His arm could use some work. He's not exactly Danny Jansen, but he's a great defender. He's starting to put things together at the plate. He's not striking out nearly as much. He's, you know, he's still pulling the ball, which was a big concern for him in the minors, but he's getting more playing time. I, I think that's what's happening. Bo Taylor was just claimed off waivers today, uh, so they're only carrying two catchers. Luke Maley might be ready in the next three, four, five days, according to recent reports. Danny Jansen is at a really rough season at the plate. Uh, McGuire's going to get some at-bats. He's been pretty hot. He's my pick for this week. All right, Brendan. Good pick, buddy. Uh, I have stayed on the pitching side of things for at least the last month, so I'm going to switch things around and go back to the offensive side of things because I want to see them heat up a little bit. You know what? I am going to go with Derek Fisher. I know that uh, there hasn't been much there since he's been a Toronto Blue Jay. He's chipped in with a few home runs, but uh, I think Derek Fisher will uh, – have himself a nice little week against the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees. I uh, think that's a solid pick as well, my friend. And I'm going to go pitching because I'm just going to carry over my pick from last week. <laughs> I really think that uh, Anthony Kay is going to have a chance to show up uh, his favorite team, the New York Yankees, in a, another solid performance and hopefully win me some uh, you know, bragging rights. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, gentlemen, all three fantastic picks in Picks to Click. Hayden, we will give you a shout-out on Twitter next week if you win. And I like your pick of Reese McGuire. He homered tonight, so you're off to a fantastic start. Hayden, before we say goodbye, why don't you give us one final little uh, promotion like uh, our friend Adam Corsair likes to do. Tell us where we can find your work, what you're working on, uh, and anything that you want to promote for all of our listeners here. Or as I like to put it, the shameless self-promoting section. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm all for it, guys, and I really appreciate the platform here. I'm doing a ton of work at Blue Jays Nation this offseason. 
Um, I'm, I'm doing my best on my own end to improve my understanding of a lot of pretty advanced saber metric uh, metrics and statistics. I'm going to do a lot more long-form op-ed and analytical uh, stuff over for them. Um, I've got a few pieces uh, that are sort of in the queue, mainly about some of the minor league stuff. I'm going to continue my work with Jesse uh, in the minor leaguer. Uh, we're, we're still doing a few things with Around the Nest, but it's mainly going to be Blue Jays Nation uh, this fall. I really get the chance to flesh out some of my ideas with my fantastic co-writers. I've been working with Ian Hunter. I've been working with Cam Lewis, who's the editor of Blue Jays Nation. It's a fantastic place. And all of my stuff can be found on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Hayden Godfrey. That's Godfrey with two Ys. Uh, I've said this before, I think on this show. Uh, Hayden Godfrey is a New Zealand cyclist who won a bronze medal at the Beijing Olympics. So he's got all the good names. <laughs> but uh, you can still find me uh, if you give me a quick Google or on Twitter. And that's what I'm working on. I really appreciate it, guys. Awesome, Hayden. Craig? It's been another good episode. Thank you, Hayden, for joining us today. And Blue Jays fans, you know exactly where to find Craig and I on Twitter and at the Jaybird Watching Twitter account. Make sure you like, subscribe, interact with us. We would love to have you on the show. But until then, gentlemen, let's end things with a let's go Blue Jays. Let's go Blue Jays. Let's go Blue Jays. Thanks, guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.